Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we've come to Luke chapter number four, and we're going to be looking at the first narrative in Luke four, which is the temptation of our Savior. So like I said, today we've come to one of the most intense battles this world has ever seen. I'm not speaking of Gettysburg. I'm not speaking of D-Day. I'm not speaking of Waterloo. All intense battles that fill the pages of history. No, I'm speaking of a battle far more violent than these and far more important too. I'm speaking of the battle between our Savior and Satan, between the Beloved and Beelzebub. Much was at stake in this 40-day skirmish, for the very identity and claim of Jesus was put to the test by the tempter himself. Yet we know that Christ emerged from this dogfight in the desert victorious. In fact, by resisting Satan, the Savior substantiated the fact of his sinless nature and his identity as God's Son. That was at the heart of this battle. For two times, as we will see, Satan whispers, if you are the Son of God. Now that's just two times in our text, but the battle went on for 40 days, so who knows how many times he taunted the Lord with this phrase. We're going to examine Satan, our Savior's triumph over Satan's temptation. In the Savior's triumph over Satan's temptation, we find the means of victory that can be applied to our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all that being said, let's read the text. Luke chapter 4, verses beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We're examining the thought, the Savior's triumph over the Satan's temptation. Now, the first thing we see in verse number one is the time of the Savior's tempting. The time. What do I mean by that? Well, it was after he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, we find the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit plays a prominent role in this section of Luke, for we find the Spirit descends upon him at his baptism and then leads him into his testing, and then, in the next verse, which I didn't read, fills him with power as he returns to Galilee. We must at least say this much. Everything about Jesus' ministry was of the Holy Spirit, and I hope and pray that the same will be said of ours. 
Notice the time of his testing. It was directly after his baptism, which inaugurated his public ministry. For we find after his baptism in chapter 3, Luke wrote, Now Jesus himself began his ministry. Satan had well left the Savior alone 30 years. However, as Jesus was beginning to start his public ministry and mission, Satan was stirred to action. We will note in our Christian walk and service that the biggest battles often come when God is moving the most in our midst. When God is blessing a local church, mark it down, Satan will begin to berate that same beloved. He makes no bother with those who seek to do nothing in service to the Savior, but he comes against those who serve with the fires of hell and all his forces. So we see the time of the Savior's tempting. But not only the time, notice the turf of the Savior's tempting. In verse 1 it says the wilderness. So we have the turf. Now this wilderness itself was a serious situation. This was the uninhabited, uninhabited part of Judea, and it stood between the city and the Dead Sea, and it was a stretch that spanned 35 miles by 15 miles. In fact, it was called Jeshimon, which means the devastation. Listen to how Barclay described this turf. The hills were like dust heaps. The limestone looked blistered and peeling. The rocks were bare and jagged. The ground sounded hollow to the horse's hoofs. It glowed with heat like a vast furnace, and it ran out to the precipices 1,200 feet high, which swooped down to the Dead Sea. This turf was to be the location of his tempting. Nothing about this location was comfortable. No food, no water, no shade, no rest, no relaxation. It was a dangerous place to be lost in. Remember, there were no phones or cars. You get stuck out in a place like that back then, you were dead. So we see the turf of the Savior's tempting. This reminds us that it's often during our most difficult settings, we find ourselves on Satan's turf, if you will, that temptation comes our way. Temptation may simply be to give in. Take example, a pastor may be in a difficult ministry context, a just shaman, if you will, and he's constantly bombarded with the thought, just leave, go somewhere else, it'll be easier. However, this is the place that God has put him. Why is it then that the enemy chooses to attack us when we were in a terrible turf? He knows that in that setting, when we are most uncomfortable, we are most susceptible to temptation. You're strong when you're comfortable. You're in the midst of God's people. You're serving the Lord. You're in, sitting in a church service, reading your Bible or whatever have you. It's often, I mean, he can tempt you in that, but that's not his turf that he likes to operate. He likes to wait until you're in a jeshaman, a devastation, a terrible turf. That's the kind of turf he likes to tempt people on. He likes to attack when you're in a weak state. Satan's no dummy. He didn't attack Jesus when he was at the Jordan River as he came up out of the water in a spiritually and blessed high state. He waited for an opportune time. That's why Peter would go on to tell us that we must be sober and vigilant because the devil is seeking whom he may devour. So not only the turf of his tempting, but now we've come to verse 2 and we notice the term of his tempting. 
It says that he was being tempted for 40 days by the devil. 40 days. That's over a month. We read this narrative often and think that the whole thing took a couple of hours and it all happened the same day, but that's not what the text says. It says these temptations were repeated over and over for 40 days. Notice the term of the Savior's tempting, 40 days. All the while, in his human nature, he's most vulnerable. Hasn't eaten anything, very little rest, blazing sun, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, alone, for 40 days. Now, you and I couldn't last 40 minutes in a situation like that, and here he was 40 days. This would have been impossible for anybody other than Jesus Christ, which is why I said at the beginning of the sermon that our Savior's success over Satan's tempting, if it does nothing else, it substantiates the fact of his sinless nature because anybody else at this time and on this turf and for this term would have folded like a napkin, would have dropped to their knees and said, whatever, have at it. However, during this term of our Savior's tempting, he stood strong. Now, that brings us to verse 3. And it carries on through 11. We see the types of the Savior's tempting. The types. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean what he was tempted with. First of all, Satan tempts him to turn a piece of stone into a loaf of bread. What kind of temptation is that? I mean, food's not a sin. Certainly a hungry man is well within his right to eat something, is he not? Clearly something a little deeper is going on. Look carefully. He, Satan says, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to bread. Now, if you are the Son of God, well, what was the last thing Jesus heard? Do you remember? You go back to the baptism, and the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son. And the next voice Jesus hears is from Satan, if you are the Son. So this temptation was to put to attempt to cause Jesus to question his father. It was a temptation not to trust his father, but rather to trust in his own ability to provide for his physical nourishment. In other words, he was saying, why don't you just take care of yourself? God hasn't provided you any bread. The point was Satan was calling into question the word of God which declared Jesus as the Son of God because that one little word, if, if. Listen, when Satan tempts us, one of the ways he tempts us is he's going to tempt us to look at our circumstances and lose confidence in Christ and to try to handle things on our own instead of trusting God because to not trust God always leads to disobedience. And so the devil is sneaky. He's subtle. And so he tempted Jesus to not trust God. Well, at the same time, he's tempting Jesus to place his trust in anything other than the Father's hand. So Satan was appealing to the circumstance Jesus was in. Do something, because God isn't going to, is what he was saying. How often Satan will tempt us to doubt the Lord 
by appealing to our current circumstances that may or may not be negative. Secondly, Satan tempted the Savior regarding his trust by, excuse me, second, not only did Satan tempt the Savior regarding his trust, but the second type of temptation regarding compromise. He said, why don't you worship me? Why don't you worship me and I'll give you these kingdoms? Tempted him to compromise biblical worship, to compromise sound doctrine. All of that's wrapped up in this temptation in order to get a bigger crowd. I'll give you these big kingdoms. Well, if this isn't relevant for the church, there is a constant pressure on the evangelical church to compromise biblical worship, biblical preaching in order to gain a bigger kingdom, a bigger crowd, a bigger church. And so the second temptation was to compromise. The problem is Jesus didn't come to build a crowd, did he? He came to build a church, and the two are not synonymous terms. Thirdly, he tempted Jesus to test God. Throw yourself off this building. God will catch you. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining that because that's pretty self-explanatory. We must never think that we are to tempt God, uh, act foolishly, and then expect him to bail us out, if you will. So far, we've looked at the temptation itself. We saw the time of the Savior's tempting, the turf of the Savior's tempting, the term of the Savior's tempting, and then we noted the types of the Savior's tempting. All that's kind of been bad news. Well, now we've come to the triumph of the Savior's tempting because the good news is, as we read the rest of the story, we found out he was triumphant over temptation. Jesus obviously emerged victorious and triumphed over his tempting, but how was this victory achieved? What did Jesus do? Did he just sit there, close his eyes, and wait for it to be over? No. We must wake up and pay attention here because this is the part that can apply to us because Jesus gives us a pattern of how to overcome temptation. Notice with me that the first way in which the Savior triumphed over temptation was by resisting Satan. That's what he did. He, if you read this narrative, he resisted Satan. That's what Jesus did. And James, later on in the Bible, tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. Now, the word resist means to oppose, to set oneself against. Jesus gave no ground to the devil. Every time the devil would try to get in there with a word or wit, Jesus would stop it in its tracks. He dug his heels in and resisted Satan. Let me tell you something. If you struggle with alcohol abuse, Stay away from bars. Resist. Now, again, the word resist means to give no ground to or to oppose. So practically, this applies to us. We can triumph over temptation by resisting Satan. Now, back to the practical illustration here. If you are an alcoholic, don't go to a bar. Resist. Give no ground to. If you struggle with a bad temper, Stay away from situations that trigger you. If you struggle with sexual sin, limit your internet use. Whatever it is, avoid situations that you know you can't handle. Give no ground to the devil. So we notice that the Savior triumphed over 
temptation by resisting Satan. But secondly, the Savior triumphed over temptation by relying on Scripture. In verse 4, what did he say? It is written. In verse 8, what did he say? For it is written. In verse 12, what did he say? It has been said. In other words, it is written. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. So Jesus triumphs over temptation by relying on Scripture. Now you can't rely on what you don't know. And you, or should I say, you can't rely on what you don't remember and you can't remember what you don't know. Psalm 119.11 tells us, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Before I go any further, let me urge you that we can take a practical example from this. We should make an effort to study and to memorize and to rely on Scripture. Because Jesus himself relied on Scripture to triumph over temptation. And so we see that the Savior triumphed over temptation by relying on Scripture. And then finally, the Savior triumphed over temptation by rebuking Satan. In verse 8 he says, get behind me, Satan. He rebuked him. Now, I realize I'm not Jesus, and neither are you, and we don't have authority over the devil in the way that he did. Nobody's getting into crazy, charismatic, la-la land here. But we do have an authority in prayer. Perhaps you've heard somebody pray like this, Father, would you bind back the enemy and put a hedge of protection about us? In a sense, not the same, but in a sense, that is a rebuke, a rebuff against Satan. So the Savior triumphed over temptation by rebuking Satan, and we can similarly do that by calling on Jesus in prayer. In conclusion, all of us face temptation, being temptation, being tempted, excuse me, can't even read my own notes, that's pretty bad, is not sin, but yielding to temptation is, and it is within our nature to yield. How then shall we overcome and triumph? For the saved, by the Spirit of God, we must resist Satan, we must rely on Scripture, and we must pray earnestly for God to bind back and rebuke the enemy. We cannot remove responsibility from ourselves for yielding to temptation because God has given us an opportunity through the work of Christ to resist and to be victorious. <laughs> Considering that, we find our desperate need for Jesus, for only he has defeated the power of sin. Therefore, we are slaves to sin and its consequence without him. So if you're here listening to this, I encourage you to come to the only one who has defeated Satan, sin, and the grave, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, the Savior's triumph over Satan's tempting. And we went through the entire story, and we talked about the three keys that Jesus used to overcome. He, re he rebuked Satan, he relied on Scripture, and he resisted Satan. All of that to say this, I believe Jesus allowed himself to enter this time of temptation to do two things. Number one, number one, to prove his sinless nature because he flawlessly resisted temptation. Number two, to reveal to us the tactics of our enemy. He shows us, by allowing it to happen to himself, how Satan attacks. 
And so now we know that Satan likes to pick opportune times, usually when you're on a spiritual high, when God is moving. Satan likes to attack you on his own turf, so be careful. And sometimes the term is a lot longer than we'd like. So we need to be prayed up and consecrated in Christ. I hope you've enjoyed this sermon in short, if you will. And I hope you'll keep studying the book of Luke with us. God bless you.